You're going to see the interview everyone is going to be talking about. Wagon wheel Watusi. What do I think of her? Yes. I don't think of her. Then we become divas as opposed to just strong women. Oh, coughing during my interview, really? It feels uh, reductive. And welcome to Big Diva Energy, the podcast for and about fabulous people being fucking extralent. I'm Holly Morgan and my husband Tom is also here. My baby just cares for me. And today we're discussing one of the true all-time great divas. Their life as a musician was shaped by the brutal history of racial tension. Their music is almost uncategorizable. Largely lauded as a jazz musician, they themselves describe their music as, if anything, folk. In the 1960s, no musical performer was more closely identified with the civil rights movement and their self-penned anthems such as Mississippi, Goddamn, Four Women and Young, Gifted and Black echo down the years as poignant and prescient as ever. The recipient of 15 Grammy nominations and an inductee into the Grammy Hall of Fame, we will of course be talking about the legendary Nina Simone. And with us to discuss Nina Simone is another absolute powerhouse, an actor, a writer, and a co-founder of the theatre company All About You, with the Olivier Award-winning Donica O'Brien. Our guest started out in this business we call showing up and being fabulous by training as an actor at Lambda before winning great plaudits for their work in many fabulous fringe productions. Their debut play as a writer, My World Has Exploded a Little Bit, toured nationally following enormous critical acclaim. Their second play, Rejoicing at Her Wondrous Vulva, The Young Woman Applaud, herself was optioned for television and they were then commissioned to write a script for an original TV drama as part of the BBC Drama Writers Programme. They acted in a fiction podcast called The People Outside for which they also wrote an episode wearing both hats, yes, and as a writer have scripts in development with the great and the good including a script adaptation of a novel for the BBC and Mamtor Productions and they are writing on the next season of a popular comedy drama for Netflix that they love and that we love and are very excited about, but it hasn't been officially announced yet, so we can't say the name of it. Ring them bells. It's the glorious Bella Hasem. Hello. Hi. Hi, darling. What a treat it is to see you. Thanks for having me. Oh, our absolute pleasure. Um, are you in a, where, where are you? Whereabouts are you? Um, I'm near Wimbledon. Yes, lovely. You've moved since I, since I recorded my Rejoicing with Bella. Since yes. you rejoiced with Bella. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't live far from there, but we're currently have, having work done on our house, darling. So oh, we're, darling. we're a bit, bit further away in a rental at the moment. A, a ridiculous ah. rental with a plum tree in the garden. So Oh, that's nice. Lovely. Living the life of Riley. <laughs> millions of plums i wish you were here so i could give you all of the plums oh my Too god an abundance of plums yeah. there you go it's a new play um, <laughs> it's such a treat to see you I haven't seen you all through the panny d no no how's how's it been um well actually i sort of feel <laughs> terrible for saying this but it's been quite good for me um because i got into the the old tv writing Yes. sort of just before the the panidi descended and so i've been having lots of great meetings with tv production companies on zoom and getting paid to develop tv ideas Amazing. which is very novel from with from someone with a, a theater background yeah um so yeah i've been learning new things which Amazing. i've been really enjoying that's great. And also just wrapping up on the um, the writer's room as well, on the writer's programme. Yeah. Um, I Basically, that spanned the pandemic, the, um, the BBC writer's programme. So I was writing a script throughout that time. Um, Fabulous. And now I'm just waiting for the BBC gods to deign to read it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the meantime, then, um, would you mind if we asked you some silly questions about divas? Please do. Oh, excellent. Well... My first question, I will always love you. Who is your all-time diva? So, I am. Um, I really struggle with making decisions which are like final in this way. Like one, I have to pick <laughs> Very one. Important. How, how can I do this? Yeah. Um, so I'm taking advantage of the format to talk yes. about all of my faves. Yes. Um, so, <laughs> but the, the one that I will say here um, is Maya Angelou. Oh, lovely. Oh. 
and I, actually this is partly like me cheekily being like let's just seed this as a future app because yeah. <laughs> does not have seven um volumes of autobiography for no reason yes um yes. she is epic and um I've, I've read her autobiography and it's just like every page you're just going how is this a real person oh my god um, she literally like was a brothel madam for a while um and then ended up reading a poem at a presidential inauguration do you know what I mean like yeah, incredible is the shit um <laughs> and um yeah so I, I I was like actually in terms of like the range and breadth of her kind of awesomeness mm. um I think she wins yes um and then my like cheesy answer is my mum because she was also epic in her own yeah. way um, and was uh, like one of those people who people just fell in love with her. And yeah. she she basically she got she managed to get a special treatment everywhere she went. So like <laughs> I remember she, we stayed we used to say like when she got quite ill because she had MS. Um, I'm saying talking the past tense, listeners, because she's dead. Um, the, the, the spoiler for my first play. Um, <laughs> And she, um, she, yeah, so I, we used to go to this um, hotel at Christmas after she was ill and like, we were like, we can't be bothered to do the stress of this at home anymore. Um, and the owner of the hotel would let her, my mum bring her dog, even though she didn't bring her own dog. It was like, <laughs> what? You, you are special. That's <laughs> you amazing. Oh for you, I will bend my own rules. My own yeah. dog can stay and not get Christmas. I would deny this dog Christmas, but your dog gets it. That's so lovely. Yeah. She, she was a remarkable woman. Yeah. Special <laughs> treatment wherever you go, I think has to be a diva category. Yes, that we haven't definitely. dived into, but I think it's definitely up there. Oh, it's got to be on the, te- on the checkbox. Just circling back. So my Angelou's autobiography <laughs> is yes. seven volumes long. Oh, yeah. Any duds? And... It is not overwritten either. They are all really? action-packed. Action-packed. <laughs> Have you got a ranking system? Or is it is there one we should start with? Or is it just vol one? Just one you st- start at the beginning. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I don't remember all of the detail. It just becomes like this kind of rollicking thing. But at, what's remarkable is at the beginning, I think at the age of four, she's put on a train with her brother to go and live with her grandma um, after her her parents marriage sort of just implodes um and her mum is like a an absolute diva and legend in her own right yeah. um to the extent that she sort of can't be bothered to look after her children um <laughs> and um, and so the children are sensitive with their grandparents a common diva thread um, yes <laughs> in stamps arkansas and um and basically, from then, it's just her kind of surviving in unlikely circumstances in different countries around the world with, you know, she has many husbands. Is it literally, from my quick Google, we're not even sure how many, because <laughs> she felt like it was a bit much to, to sort of give the number. She, she, she thought that it would make her seem frivolous. <laughs> <laughs> Are we talking um, double digits? I don't think that what I don't think so actually we I think I think there are only like two or three definitely on record I think it's just that she didn't like to sort of to talk about it because it yeah because it made it seem like she was being frivolous and actually (laughs) I think as is often the case you know the some of the men were deeply problematic and she was absolutely right to move on um but um but she yeah she she kind of she toured all over Europe with Porgy and Bess, um, amazing kind of like basically like singer and actor and academic and writer um, and just astonishing. I remember some of the late, one of the later volumes she goes and lives in, oh, I now can't remember which country in Africa, but she's talking about going to Africa and kind of wanting it to be like her homeland because she's African-American, mm. but it's kind of not. And it's just fascinating, like the... Um, the sort of cultural analysis and insight mm. and so it is an autobiography listing all the amazing things she's done but also she's kind of offering um these insights and she was like I I mean it's she, she, she was friends with Malcolm X 
And um, apparently um, Martin Luther King asked her to organise a march. You know, she was just in all the rooms where all the shit was happening. Yeah. Her path must have crossed with Nina's then. You would think so, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Now that would be a play, wouldn't it? A little two-act play. Oh, epic. Yeah. Oh, what a great answer. Um, I mean, I do want to do that episode, so I'll have to, I'll start reading tomorrow. I'll start reading (laughs) this now. (laughs) (laughs) Who runs the world? To which diva would you give the nuclear codes to? So I have decided (laughs) that the the person I want to run the world is Janelle Monáe. Oh, Oh. yeah. Couldn't agree more. Um, she is basically already queen of her own imaginary world. Yes. And um, I would gladly live in her benevolent dictatorship. <laughs> in her sort of, yeah, metropolis. But it's, yeah, a bit warmer and fuzzier. Yeah, but the thing is, right, that metropolis is this whole concept thing. Yeah. So, right, for anyone who isn't familiar with Janelle Monet, which, I mean, get a grip. But she, um, like, I fell in love with her when I first saw her single from, like, I think it was her first album, Tightrope. And Mm. it's very kind of, like, super funky, sexy, like, James Brown on speed. Like, um, and it's it's a tune, right? It's like a toe-tapping tune. And I bought the album off the back of it. And to be honest, I was slightly disappointed because it's a concept album full of, like, orchestral suites. (laughs) not banger to banger not banger to banger at all but it also kind of made me fall in love with her even more because I was like this is an artist yeah it's like do you know what fuck you I'm doing what I want to do and it's like the definition of diva it's like I'm not this I'm not trying to please anybody yeah I am like and and the way that she talked about the whole kind of like arc android thing like she just claimed to be an android like she she talks in literal terms yeah about like her fantasy world like in interviews and stuff she was just like yeah I am an android um um, and has this whole kind of yeah this whole world that she's created essentially but then her latest album is like banger bangers yeah. and um and she is she's she is showing her softer side a bit like my mm. one of my favorite moments is the vulva trousers in the video for pink oh incredible um which, which also features tessa thompson who she's clearly sexing at the time yeah. yeah and um and so you you yeah you kind of see her 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 opening up and being like doing all these different dimensions and yeah um but also, she she's she's dealt she's dipped her toe into politics. So, do you remember the fly that flew around Mike Pence? Oh God, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that fly got diva of the week on one of our little yeah. Diva energies. <laughs> right. Well, she had an incredibly high tech fly costume made <laughs> so Shut that up. she could yeah. do videos as no. the fly. What? <laughs> Iconic. <laughs> she is absolutely iconic and and also now I feel like her her kind of it wasn't that clear with the whole arc android thing but now with the latest album I think it's very clear that her utopia would be very queer yes. um, which I'm absolutely down for yeah um so yeah I think basically we need a queer brown woman running the world and yeah. who better who better absolutely snip those nuclear codes into the pocket of the vulva trousers don't <laughs> use them until absolutely necessary Absolutely. Fantastic. Yeah, great. Nightmare answer. to find though. Oh, it's true, actually. Can you imagine? Around in those... Janelle, we need the codes. <laughs> I think that's good though. That's a good extra layer of um, yes. protection. You don't want to be using those codes rashly, do you? No, exactly. exactly. You won't have to work for them. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. If I could turn back time, which diva would you send back to which historical situation? Okay, so um this one. I'm not going super far back in history, uh-huh. um, but the, the person I'm sending is Lizzo. Amazing. Um, now, the, the, I, this was inspired, actually, by um, Catelyn Moran's response to Lizzo's song. Oh, now I'm going to forget the name of the song, but it's the one where she says, I'm a thick bitch, I need tempo. Um, yes. Basically, it's a song yeah. all about like how slow songs are for skinny girls. Yeah. And she, she is a thick bitch, so she needs tempo. <laughs> and in the video, she is, you know, shaking her sizable posterior um, and having a great time. 
Yeah. And I, I read a thing that Callum Brown wrote about how she was like, if I had heard a song like that when I was a teenager, it would have made so much difference. Like being mm. a fat young woman is just agony. And if she'd had like an icon like Lizzo just going, this is all I am. It is glorious and magnificent and fucking hot. Yeah. Um, and you should probably bow down before me. <laughs> then it would have made a huge difference to her confidence. And obviously, Catamount's a bit older than me, but I remember in when I was growing up in the 90s, it was the whole heroin chic yes. um, era. Like everybody was very skinny. Kate Marsh um, back. The, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's back in and a so, big way. Basically, I'm like, just just at many many points in history whenever it's trendy to be skinny let's send Lizzo back oh, and idea. <laughs> just have her spread joy like because she's not even actively political about it she's just like no. unapologetically sexy whilst in a very large body and yes. I think that's incredibly valuable Ah, oh, this is such a good answer because she could be like the sort of Pied Piper couldn't she she'd go down there with a flute be like, do, 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 yeah. do, when she's grounded everyone up in the town square or whatever, then she's like, right, let's talk about positive body image. Or she just drops a beat. Yeah. That's, it, that's the thing. I think that's what's so much more fun, right? That she's not going to lecture anyone. She's no. just going to drop a beat and get down. And people are going to be like, oh, I want this to have amazing. sex with that fat woman. Maybe being fat is cool. Yes. Like, that, <laughs> I think that's the way that we change the world when it comes down to it. Um, and I have a little anecdote about another song of hers called Go Soulmate. So Love when it. I was doing my play, Wondrous Vulva, uh, uh, I... I had lots of lovely reviews. I had one review, which was, I think, from a woman who had emotions in response to the piece uh-huh. and became slightly defensive um, and was quite mean. Oh. Um, yeah. Like, not even, I think it was like a three-star review. It wasn't even like she slated the show, but she was sort of unnecessarily personally mean. Oh, no, um, thank you. And, and was saying, basically, like, she, she was saying that I was basically like a bit too in love with myself um and like given that sort of a a key theme of the show was sort of (laughs) self-love as a positive thing yeah um I took issue with that um and she made like there was some kind of quip towards the end of it about like how I was just basically like staring at myself in the mirror applauding myself in the mirror or something like oh jesus um and and then i heard lizzo's soulmate and there's literally a lyric in it where she so the gist of the song is that um she's her own soulmate um and she says um i know i'm a queen but i don't need no crown look up in the mirror like damn she the one oh so literally describe it that bitch in the mirror like yeah i'm in love yeah and i was like <laughs> I am reclaiming this image of myself, putting yes. myself in the mirror, and I'm going with it. And that that was like some big diva energy right there. I just yes. listened to this song on repeat in the car on the way to the theatre. Like, yes, yes, I am looking in the mirror and thinking, "Damn, she the one." Yes. Um, <laughs> I think Lizzo is is the person to fill us all with self love. Oh, I absolutely agree. Did you consider changing the title from Rejoicing at Her Wondrous Love and Be a Woman Applauded Herself to Looking in the Mirror and Damn She the One? <laughs> oh, I, wonder how the, I wonder how the review would have taken it. <laughs> I, I think on the every, every sort of um, nasty review from Steve Bennett, a, a comedian should be sent an LP of Lizzo. Yeah. That would do a lot of good. <laughs> In the meantime, though, Material Girl, what's on your rider? Okay, so, I have I mean, I've listened to a few other people answer this question and they are not thinking big enough, my friends. <laughs> <laughs> I think someone had, like, a bottle of Coke and a bag of crisps. Yeah, <laughs> some, like, some bag of crisps. I was like, dream a little, my friend. <laughs> this is in a fantasy world, as far as yes. I understand it. So, I first on the list is a personal misuse. Oh. Absolutely vital. Vital, essential. Um, yeah, it is essential. I have a very achy back, and it will make me much happier. Um, <laughs> I, I would also like um, a basically a bar, like a, a fully stocked traveling bar yes! with some with a with an expert cocktail maker. Oh. So I love cocktails. I'm not really like I'll have a nice red wine, but I'm not bothered. I don't drink any beer really. 
I don't drink white wine. Uh, what I really want is a delicious cocktail. Mm. But which one I want is going to depend on my mood. So I'm going to need a, a widely stocked bar yeah. and somebody who just knows how to make all of them. And in fact, my preference is one of those amazing people who says, what do you like? Tell me something you like. I'm going to invent something. I'm going to create something just for you yes. based on the kind of other things you like and the flavors you're in the mood for right now and just surprise you. And it's absolutely divine. That's, that's what I want. Um, and if they can do a bit of flaring, bonus. Why not? Sure. Love the show. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and what else do I want? So um, I obviously arrange, I don't know if this is rider though, because I guess I'd be bringing my own clothes and costumes, like wardrobe, just like a wide variety yeah. of outfits, basically. But I yeah. guess I'm bringing that. So that's not like for the venue to provide. It's a fantasy world. Um, it's a fantasy world. <laughs> yeah. You could have Dior bring you the new collection. Oh, Perfect. Yeah. I mean, I don't, yeah. I actually don't know about the specific designers, so I don't know if Dior is my specific taste, but um, actually, do you know what? Just whoever is dressing Janelle Monáe, send them uh, over. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and um, I'll have some fun with that. I love that. Yeah. Oh, and a chef, a personal chef. Yes. Um, because I, or specifically, I'm quite fussy about my food. I was brought up vegan and I have relaxed into vegetarianism, but I still don't really like cheese or eggs. Right. Um, and so in London, I can eat very well because there there's lots of very exciting cuisines. Yeah. But if I'm traveling, it sometimes becomes an issue. Yes. Um, so I want, yeah, I mean, a chef and obviously sort of infinite ingredients for them to just whip up whatever yeah. cuisine I'm in the mood for that night. Yeah. Perfect. Amazing. Yeah. So it's not so much what's on your rider as who's on your rider. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. who's in the you tour bus coming back. Yeah. yeah, fine. Dream big. Fantasy world. Absolutely. I think the only person that came close was Rob Madge, who had a pina colada machine and a jacuzzi. <laughs> yeah. But it got mixy. Yeah. And also, that's not still not big enough. No. A Do you know pina, what? I will have a pina I will colada have... machine when you can have a fresh one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I will have a jacuzzi as well, though. That's a good shout. <laughs> I just have all of the above, please. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Okay, well, uh, what does the term diva mean to you? Okay, so essentially, Beyonce's Lemonade album. <laughs> Perfect answer. That's what it means. Yes. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> if I mean, I think if I mean, I think everybody knows but her song don't hurt yourself mm -hmm. which is um the collaboration with jack white who i'm a big fan of as well so i was very excited about it um i think who the fuck do you think i am you ain't married to no average bitch boy like that yeah. in a nutshell um that is what a diva is yeah. um and the and like I looked at it and it's it was written by like a million people um but I do like to think that they probably were at least partially inspired by the fact they were writing it for Beyonce like yes. and imagining like sorry sorry did someone cheat on Beyonce are you, are you, are you shitting me yeah. um and that's kind of the vibe of the song yes. <laughs> like, yes. um the like the the you hurt me you hurt yourself um, yeah like, yeah um so yeah I, and then obviously the um the the imagery from the formation video oh. i think is like badassery um just just like pure badassery basically mm. um and and i love the fact that it's also political um but it's that kind of you know that thing where she's just in that massive wide brimmed black hat just kind yes. of tipping her head in time to the beat and you're just like oh fuck she's gonna fuck some shit up like yeah but also she's gonna look really really spectacular while doing it yeah um and so my my kind of uh my more substantial answer to this is I think I was thinking about this I tried to look up what the origin of the term diva was and basically I was like oh it's like Italian for goddess and it's about singers but obviously the way that it's used today um, it's often, and I, I don't know whether, like, in terms of its popular usage, this is even how it originated, it's often used in a slightly pejorative way mm -hmm. um, about, you know, Mariah Carey telling people not to look her in the eye or whatever. And I think, um, I think it's notable that the context in which it's used in a pejorative way is in reference to women. Yes. Um, in reference to women who know their worth yes. and expect to be treated with respect. Mm. And I note 
that when men know their worth and expect to be treated with respect, people don't call them divas, weirdly. Um, And so I've arrived at like a definition for myself, which is that it is, and I'm going to include um, non-binary people and queer men in this, as well as women, Um, basically anybody who is not a straight man. they tend to be the divas because it is having absolute belief in yourself or at least presenting that. I mean, obviously we're all secretly insecure underneath, but like at least having enough of a sense of your worth that that is what you're projecting. Um, And in the face of doubters, essentially, it's it's like, it's that, that powerful like projection of like, I am that bitch. Mm. But in the face of people questioning whether or not you're that bitch. Yes. Like, I, I feel like that's kind of the essence of it. And that's why, for me, the OG divas are black women. Mm. Because they are facing that dual oppression and being fucking magnificent in the face of it. Um, and I actually... I love you both dearly, but I have a little challenge for Big Diva Energy here, which is to increase your melanin levels. Yes. um, Because I'm like, it's like all of them, like Aretha Franklin, Billie Holiday, Shaka Khan, Diana Ross, Donald Summer, Ella Fitzgerald, like uh, Etta James. They're just like, yes, they're all. And I, for me, I'm like, this is, yeah, this is kind of the, the archetype of diva in my mind mm. um, is these women who have been shat upon from a great height in a variety of ways <laughs> and have just like covered it in glitter and sung a song. Yeah. <laughs> and gone, do you know what? I'm still better than you. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Um, and the idea as well, I think that like, actually, even when you are making outrageous demands, because obviously there are divas who, do take it to that level mm-hmm. um just because they can I'm like that's within a context of most other people who look like me mm-hmm. do not have the power to do this I have through my talent have accrued the power to do this so fuck you all mm. and I'm like fair play I don't even care I don't even care if you're telling me that this like this you know this incredible singer is a bitch to everyone I'm like do you know what her and all the white guys. <laughs> <laughs> You've yeah. only got a problem because it's her. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's absolutely nailed it, my love. And it's so interesting actually to hear, no one's answered that question actually through the lens of an artist actually thinking about looking at Beyonce as a case study of what does a diva mean? Because like early in her career, you've got her her saying diva is the female version of a hustler. Yeah. And then you've got Lemonade, which is obviously a different state of um, political engagement, a, di- a diff- different state of um, a stage of her femininity and her engagement with, with what has happened to her as a woman and how she yeah. represents that back through her art. So that's, yeah, I think that's so interesting to think about that in, in, in terms of the specifics of one of, of one of the most accomplished people of all time. Yeah. And also, you know, I think like for anybody, it's a it's a really difficult thing to be like betrayed, essentially, by the person closest to you, which is clearly what she felt had happened. And that like I think for lots of women, that would cause them to like it would knock their confidence a bit. It Mm. would make cause them to like question their desirability, whatever. And it's really nice to just have a response that's like, boy bye. Yeah. Um, I don't know what you think you're doing. Yeah. But this is your final warning. You know I give you life. If you try this shit again, you're going to lose your wife. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, amazing. Well, now, so obviously we've defined Diva to be something that is absolutely extraordinary and brilliant. So... Bella Heeson, have you ever been a diva? <laughs> the thing is, I have absolutely set myself up to fail with my previous answer. Um, because, like, it only in, like, minor fun ways. And I would say that that, like, genuinely, with, with the context I've just created for me to answer this question, I have to acknowledge that, like, 
sure, I've I've overcome some obstacles in my life, but I've also benefited benefited from huge privilege. And so I sort of feel like I haven't needed to be as much of a diva as mm-hmm. like, for example, my mum did. Um, right. And so it's kind of easy for me to be like, you know what, I'll just be like humble um, and just drop into <laughs> conversation that I studied at Cambridge and then you <laughs> will respect me because that has social capital. Yeah. Like, so I, yeah, in that way, I kind of feel like I haven't needed to be as much of a badass. Yeah. Um, but I I think I definitely have diva qualities. So like, I am a person who sends back food in restaurants. Um, <laughs> I, like, I, kn- I know what to expect. I know what I'm worth and I expect yeah. it. Um, and, um, and I have, in terms of like, I was thinking about like the rider thing and like the creating the atmosphere, because actually I didn't yeah. even talk about this. I forgot with just like my, my staff, but I would also like want like, scented candles and lighting lighting is key to me I'm very fussy about lighting if I go somewhere and just the overhead lights are on I'm like why are you trying to make me unhappy um (laughs) I need some lamps some fairy lights some candles some side lighting some up lighting you know let's just create some atmosphere here um like epitomized by well I think I was maybe about 12 and I went to my friend's house for a sleepover and there's like a group of us like there's like four of us who are like best friends and um, they were like, Bella, what are you doing? Because I had bought in my bag some swathes of muslin to drape <laughs> around the room. Um, <laughs> and some candles. Bella, are those your pyjamas? No. <laughs> no, you idiot. <laughs> in my muslin swathes. <laughs> and they were like, this is a fire hazard because I was putting candles under my bed. I was like, Ugh, I'm just damned. creating an atmosphere. <laughs> Doing um, my best. So attacked as well as I'm just <laughs> creating an atmosphere. <laughs> it's a fire hazard. Get out. <laughs> oh, that's um, amazing. Yeah, so that's my kind of, yeah, I definitely Superb. have sort of some diva vibes. Ah, I love it. Do you still travel with Muslim wherever you go? <laughs> um, I don't. I did have a little travel scented candle for a while. <laughs> incredible what incredible answers thank you so much and we'll have a little break and then when we get back we'll talk about nina simone amazing amazing all right then well shall we get into it we talk about nina simone um so one of my main sources for this is liz garbus's film what happened miss simone have you seen it bella I haven't, no. Ah, brilliant. It's it's really good. It's got some amazing footage in it, listener. If you haven't watched it, it's on Netflix. And it's just, um, yeah, it's just some beautiful footage of Nina. And uh, it's written, it's, 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 the story's told with heavy collaboration from her daughter. Um, so it's, it's, there's a lot of previously untold stuff, which we'll get into more in part two about her relationship with her daughter. Um, which is quite triggering. So just to warn people in advance, and I will. There are a couple of points where I'll try and give trigger warnings as we're going through because there's our Nina. She, bless her. She she's never easy. No, no. So, uh, but first, before we get into it, Bella, what does she mean to you? What 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 does Nina Simone mean to you? Uh well, my initial introduction to her was just through her voice you know her her songs and um feeling good is my favorite song of all time Mm -hmm. and um I actually walked down the aisle to it played on the saxophone um obviously that didn't have Nina's voice in but it had the you know the riff um and I I think I mean essentially I think she has the best voice the the best of the voices um (laughs) and so I just fell in love with that um and uh, the obviously the technical kind of ability but also the soul in it yes and I think you can hear that she hasn't had the easiest life um mm. and to be honest I am actually going to be learning more about her through you because ah. I haven't like seen that film or like read like you know um a huge amount about her I've just kind of it's just been like bits here and there that have mm. just made me go oh every time I learn something new I'm like she's fucking amazing yeah <laughs> um 
and so it was slightly an opportunity for me when you were like oh who would you who would you like to talk about and I was like oh well I already know how amazing she is but I don't like I don't have all of the data whereas with <laughs> Maya like I've you know I've like read the autographies and I know I was like actually um this will be like a lovely little like me getting to watch my own documentary Holly <laughs> and Tom can tell me about uh, this wonderful woman <laughs> oh not, brilliant like, be enthusiastic about it <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, yes, she do- has had an. Am- she did have an amazing life, so I'm, I'm very excited to to chat about her with you. So this will be volume one <laughs> of seven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Nina Simone was born uh, Eunice Kathleen Wayman on February 21st, 1933, in Tyron, North Carolina, to Mary Kate Wayman, a fiercely religious Methodist minister who sometimes cleaned houses to make ends meet, and the Reverend John Deacon Wayman, originally an entertainer. Uh, both of her parents were descended from people who had been enslaved. The sixth of eight children, she began playing piano at the age of three or four, her talent recognised early on by her community, where she performed frequently at her local church. Sadly, it was it was quite a lonely childhood, uh, as Nina described it, as the local children only really wanted her to play the piano so that they could dance along to it. And in addition to the horror of growing up in the Jim Crow South, Nina was also subject to colourism. A local piano teacher, British-born Ms. Mazzy, who Nina later called her White Mama, recognised Nina's stellar potential. Nina gave her first classical recital aged 12. At this performance, her parents were forced to give up their seats on the front row for a white couple and were relocated to the back of the hall. Nina refused to play until her parents had been reinstated to where they belonged, an inciting incident for her later involvement in the civil rights movement. That is a diva. There you go. That Definition is a diva. of a diva. There I'm sorry. Is. There it is. But I, right as there. soon as I read that, I was like, absolutely iconic. At 12, 12 years 12. old. 12. And in, so hang on, where was she born? She was born in 1933. So it is so dangerous what she did. It's astonishing. It, it's astonishing to have that amount of self-possession. It's mm. incredible. Um, she remembered it. She said, I, it felt as if I had been flayed and every slight real or imagined cut me raw, but the skin grew back a little tougher, a little less innocent and a little more black after that encounter, after that episode. <sighs> and she's a poet. And she's a poet, exactly, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and she, I mean, that kind of the, the prodigiousness, she's referred to quite a lot by her contemporaries, who the musicians she worked with as being a genius. And I think, mm. I mean, I think you can hear it, that she's she is yeah. a genius. And to be that prodigious at 12, that she's giving recitals and that the community is all going, okay, this this little girl is special. Yeah. Um, and in the, in the heart of it, and you know, she's still suffering from racism and colorism and still shining. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, so her ambition was to become the first black female master pianist. That was what she always said, like, that's what I want to be. A fund was organised to pay for her private education, culminating in a summer spent at the Juilliard School training as a classical pianist, preparing for an audition at the Curtis Institute of Music in Philadelphia. Her getting into Curtis seemed preordained, so her parents moved across the country to Philadelphia in advance of her audition. Devastatingly, she did not receive a place at the Curtis Institute, and for the rest of her life, she believed that this decision was based on racial prejudice. She took private lessons under Vladimir Sokolov, a Curtis professor, but she could never reapply, as 21 is the cutoff for entry at Curtis. So this is like a, a properly in, inciting moment in her life, not getting into the Curtis Institute. Mm. I, I think I know who came worse off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> One hundred p. In the long run, yeah. Because I've never heard of the Curtis. <laughs> Not that like I'm particularly uh, au fait with classical music. Yeah. This isn't my specialty, but I, I've heard of Nina Simone. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think they recognise that because they actually, three days before her death, awarded her uh, an honorary doctorate from 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 the, the Curtis Institute. So they obviously. Yeah. Really fucked up ultimate my bad (laughs) yeah exactly yeah Yeah. and let she did not she mentioned this all the way through her career as well it wasn't just like i didn't get into curtis like she she brought it up time and time again gigs yeah no literally (laughs) oh my god yeah and and she was right they hadn't let her in because because of racial prejudice it's interesting is it because with something like that like it's so like i'm 
I'm always reluctant to like come to conclusions but Mm. as you say like the level of her talent does make it seem highly suspect yes (laughs) Uh. the the tragic her family having moved across the country yeah like the eight kids had all settled in Philadelphia and then it was like oh I've I've not got in it must have been devastating but also like her realizing presumably like if her ambition was to be the first black female master pianist that must have been the point where she goes that's why there aren't any yet. yeah yeah that's why i am and that's why that's my ambition yes. rather than it just being i want to be a yes. well also yeah sort of maybe realizing because i guess you know you're young you you might just think that you're the first black woman who's that good at piano and exactly. like at that yeah. moment you go uh maybe there have been others <laughs> yeah. yeah like it's like all the people that we haven't heard of you know, haunt us. Like when you realise with things like that, it's like, Mm. okay. Yeah. I mean, obviously we're talking about something on a very, you know, extreme scale. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, But have you ever had experiences like that, Bella, where you were like, the things that didn't happen actually ended up shaping me in a profound way that spurred me on or diverted your art in 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 a different direction or anything like that? Yeah. Well, I mean, this is very different yeah. <laughs> and and uh well sufficiently dark but the deaths of my parents mm. um I uh, so yeah my my dad died in 2010 of a brain tumor and then my mom died a couple of years later from pneumonia because she had multiple sclerosis mm. um and I think that happening particularly my dad's death was felt kind of very tragic it was very sudden he was very healthy and young Mm. my mom had my mom had been ill for many years so it was kind of less of a shock um although still sad obviously Mm. um and I suppose I started writing after that so Mm. I I conceived of myself purely as an actor up to that point yeah um and I wrote as a therapeutic exercise with in the back of my mind the fact that like I worked in theatre and maybe it could turn into a play um but you know it was um it was primarily therapeutic initially and then it became an opportunity to make something beautiful out of a tragedy um and not that it kind of (laughs) doesn't make it better but it took me in a new direction and gave me a new focus Mm. and that has um definitely improved my life and opened up a whole new area of my art and now I think of myself like I would say primarily as a writer and secondarily as an actor Mm. um and that that was the catalyst for that change so yeah, yeah in that sense amazing yeah thank you for sharing that um yeah so it's interesting Nina never gave up on not gave up gave up doesn't isn't the right terminology she always she was she it never left her the sense of the injustice that she I wanted to be the first black master pianist and I wasn't allowed to do it but she still found a way to perform and to share something I don't I mean who's to say if that would have if we'd have seen that aspect of her performance if she had played Mm. classical repertory yeah well that's the thing like from my perspective selfishly if she had just been a classical pianist I probably wouldn't have heard of her (laughs) yeah Yeah. as you were saying Tom like that's not my kind of um you know wheelhouse and so I and I just think her her voice is so incredible the Mm. idea I mean that you're probably going to get onto this but the fact that like as I understand it she only started singing because she was playing piano in a club and the owner was like you're gonna have to sing as well yeah (laughs) um and so it was kind of you know an accident and you and I I mean as someone who can't sing I'm like are you shitting me did you not (laughs) realize you had this prodigious talent like We just like, I mean, how good at piano must you have been if with yeah. that voice you were like, nah. <laughs> yeah, it's for second. It's no piano though, is it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> the fuck? Well, yeah, because she sang in the in the choir with her with, when she was in North Carolina. Right, so, so she knew she could do it. But she she never really speaks about it. She does she does present it as more of a well, as a kind of fait accompli. So hmm. she's playing the piano in this um, Midtown bar in Atlantic, the Midtown Bar and Grill in Atlantic City. And yeah, she, this, the guy literally says to her, if you want to eat, you'll be singing as well. And so she's like, oh, oh God, okay. I guess I will then. <laughs> yeah. 
which is so, astonishing. But can you imagine as the guy saying that and then that voice coming up being like, yeah. oh, oh okay. you have undersold yourself. <laughs> like, exactly. I have got myself a bargain here. <laughs> wait, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Do you know where oh. you are? This is, the, this is the Atlantic Bar and Grill. <laughs> You're Nina Simone. <laughs> Well, she wasn't yet. Well, she wasn't, exactly, no, yeah. because fearing that her Methodist minister mother would find out she was playing the devil's music, in 1954 she took on the stage name Nina Simone. Nina came from Nina, Spanish for little one, a nickname that was given to her by a boyfriend of the time. And Simone was taken from the French actress Simone Signoret, whom she had seen in the 1952 movie Casque d'Or, a film about a love triangle in the Belle Epoque. Why not? <laughs> well... Yeah. I, th- I feel like that's quite a big deep energy as well, where it's just like, yeah. I'm just going to pick two random <laughs> words random that sound good together. Yeah. A nickname and someone I saw in a film I in The last film I yeah. saw. Yes. Why not? <laughs> oh, like, God. My stage name is Monkey Aniston, would be yeah. like. <laughs> yeah. I mean, farty diehard. <laughs> but good for you. <laughs> So in 1958, she marries white beatnik and fairground barker Don Ross. A fairground barker, I feel, is is a is a career that has slipped into obscurity. I saw this in the script, and I was glad it made an appearance. The, the earnestness with which you've just written fairground barker, and you haven't put any inverted commas around it whatsoever. It's just a, as far as this script is concerned, that's what it, that's a job. That's what he did. It's a fairground barker. It's a fairground barker. Are they the ones that are like, roll up, roll up, come see the amazing dog-faced boy? That one. (laughs) I I think so. Right. He's, the guy in Carousel is a fairground barker. That's about all I I can tell you. I think, the thing is, this, the image that I have now conjured this man is not even close to worthy of Nina Simone. Oh, but no. I fear that that would be true of any man. So it is, true. unfortunately, yeah, of the men she's involved with. Trust me, no one's really worthy of her. But um, <laughs> yeah, so she's married to him for just a year. Get that out of the way. Right. Done. Meanwhile, she's building up a loyal fan base, appearing at hip events such as the Newport Jazz Festival. And she soon received interest from Bethlehem Records, which released her first album, Little Girl Blue. So, it, I mean, it happened pretty quickly. Like, she takes the stage name Nina Simone in 54, by 58, 59, like, she's a recording artist. Like, it's 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 kind of, she's gathering steam, playing in these kind of hip uh, jazz joints. And then, yeah, then she's recording a record. Like, it's, it's kind of overnight success. Which, Which, you know, doesn't exist. (laughs) Yeah, well, also, I think, you know, within the context of what we were saying, obviously, about her thwarted classical career, um, within the context of, you know, who she was and what she looked like, Mm. that, like, that kind of level of sort of quick success is also a testament to her talent. Because with, I mean, you know, you mentioned colorism and the fact that, you know, she's she's not, by, like, conventional beauty standards, Mm. a stunner. Like she has presence undeniably, yeah. but you know, she's not a pretty skinny pale thing yeah. that like a record company is going to snap up because they can package her. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like clearly they've snapped her up because they've heard her. Yes, <laughs> it's exactly. undeniable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think I'd be interested to hear how many of our listeners weren't aware that she was playing the piano as well. Because mm. I think that's quite a common thing that people... Really? Yeah, I think a lot of people think oh, of Nina yeah. Simone as a singer and don't know that she's also playing. Oh, right. Yeah. Did you you knew that then? I've just seen a lot of footage of her playing. Yeah. So, like, it's an image that's always sort of been... I've been aware of. I mean, probably if, you, if you've given more than a background kind of appreciation of her, you, you because her playing is so connected to, to the emotions of the songs, obviously yeah. she's playing. But I think... But I just, didn't realise, like, when I first heard her, yeah. Like I didn't know anything about her. I just assumed that she was just singing. Because mm. I guess that's just what I assume if I hear her. So, like, unless yeah. it's like, I don't know, like a folksy person playing a guitar. Somehow I don't expect yeah. someone to be singing and playing piano. <laughs> I think it's how you come in. Definitely if it's something like Feeling Good, then I, yeah. think, I think the first song I remember hearing by her was Strange Fruit. So it's like, right. it's quite hard to detach those, detach any part of that song from each other. Right, yeah, yeah, like they're yeah. They're quite intertwined. I also, though, I should out myself as like a musical ignoramus. So <laughs> I. You chose Nina Simone to talk about well, yeah. you are not an ignoramus. Absolutely. I know talent when I see it, but I like. <laughs> I, so, like at school, I, I did. I remember studying music 
and they'd like play us tracks and be like name the instruments you can hear and I just couldn't I just couldn't tell what any of them were (laughs) I I don't know Uh, so I can't tell the difference between like a piano and a violin I'm like well there's some music (laughs) happening I don't know like I enjoy it I move to it I know whether I like it know whether it like makes me feel something but um (laughs) so like so genuinely like I wouldn't have that's absolutely true and probably that's why I would have loved the song when I heard it It would be partly because it feels so connected in that way but I wouldn't Mm. have been able to analyze that for you if that Uh, makes sense yeah. 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 If you hear a flute on a Lizzo track, that is her playing the flute. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> I was say, if you hear a flute, but you've just identified that you couldn't point that out. Yeah, no, I wouldn't know. So. <laughs> <laughs> and now she's she's recording with Bethlehem Records, who who are baddies. <laughs> just gonna, right, gonna okay. flag that up. Yeah. Um uh, but at the suggestion of a friend who'd heard Billie Holiday's version, Nina recorded a version of Gershwin's I Love You Porgy, which became a surprise top 20 US hit in 1959. So both Nina and Billie Holiday dropped Gershwin's original pretty problematic S in I Loves You Porgy. Um, <laughs> uh, but for Nina, that was where the comparison should stop. So I didn't like to be put in a box with other jazz singers because my musicianship was totally different and in its own way superior. She wrote in her autobiography. <laughs> well on you. Of course. Diva. Hashtag diva. Hashtag diva. diva. She said, it was a racist thing. If she's black, she must be a jazz singer. It diminished me. Um, which I just... Uh, hashtag diva. The autobiography is incredible. Like, she just... she It's completely unfettered. Um, but I think she's absolutely right. Why Why else would people put her and Billie Holiday in the same sentence? Yeah. Yeah. Like... They... No offence to Billie or anything. No, absolutely no, not. not. A, a, a <laughs> tremendous not thing. I mean, yeah, it, okay, genre-wise, I guess they're both... Um, it's in a It's in a jazz jazz realm and, they, and they're both female singers and they're both black singers. Um, but yeah, her, Nina's awareness, she's like... Can you just talk about me on my own for a second, yeah. please? <laughs> and don't just call me. I've recorded the same song as her. That's 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 it. Mm. <laughs> like no yeah. comparisons necessary. Thank you very much. I always thought like I'm I'm not particularly up on jazz, so for me it was like I don't I, like for me like in my head like jazz is sort of anything that's like not got verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, mm. chorus, chorus. Like that sort of classic pop song trope. It's like anything mm. that feels a little bit more freeform. Yeah. Ah, jazz as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So I'm never yeah. quite entirely sure what, what actually constitutes jazz and why she is or isn't. <laughs> yes, good point. Well, she considers herself to be more folk-driven because I think folk is... It has a, a more kind of... Uh, I don't know the right musical ways to describe it, but it, it folk feels more um, like it's story-led. Okay. I would say. So it's not rooted in, like... Who performs it as much as what it's about? I no. discuss. Yeah, <laughs> yeah play, my. I mean, dark, I. Yeah, I'm gonna. I, I'm gonna give my ignoramus top and swerve, which is that <laughs> I think also there's a sense of um, the kind of the the nature of folk being um, more connected to like protest songs and political mm. um, kind of songs and. And and the people in a way, yeah. like a sense. Uh, I can kind of Im- I can kind of imagine that feeling, um, like the camp she would want to be in. I mm. like the and this is like veering into really lazy stereotypes tropes territory here. But like the the jazz thing feels a bit more like um, kind of music for music's sake and like yeah. in enjoying that which is a beautiful thing to do but is not so much like necessarily got something to say like yeah. of substance to the current moment if that makes mm. sense whereas folk yes. feels like it has a richer history in that way yes absolutely yeah. Yeah. and up until that point as well jazz would have been i mean we, we think about jazz in very different ways now yeah but up until that point there were definitely there was the, you know the jazz age the period where it was mm. like music to party to like jazz was like dancing music yeah absolutely whereas like yeah folk would be rooted yeah you're right and and kind of more like Woody Guthrie and stuff like traveling the states and kind of collecting songs from people and yes yeah yeah and I think we also think about jazz in a slightly kind of it's 
it has a bit it's slightly stigmatized these days isn't it being slightly pretentious yeah like um yeah but in the 50s and early 60s it was pop music <laughs> like yeah i mean there was also pop music but like jazz was cool yeah and to be fair like it kind of i don't think i don't know lots of people would probably label nina jazz like whether whether she would approve of that or not yes and so and so then you do have that kind of crossover whereby what i'm saying is no longer true because if you categorize her as jazz then that is also protest songs so like (laughs) um obviously genres can meld and combine and people can you know mash it up like (laughs) which arguably she was if depending on your definition i guess Definitely. I well, think... maybe it works in the same way as that, like as it jazz being pop in that sense, because it's a bit like why is she kicking a bucket against it? Because mm. now we would just say Nina Simone seems to have tropes of like every every style of music in there's classical in there, there's jazz, there's folk, there's yeah. like what we'd call like R and B, like there's pop elements in it and stuff like that. Like there's that kind of there's everything in it. And if she was working now, she'd probably say I'm a bit of everything. Yeah. Like, I, I, I absorb from everywhere. I'm not anything. I'm Nina Simone is probably what she would say. Yeah. Whereas back then, if people called her jazz, she's kicking back at it because it's the same way as someone who is, considers himself an artist who mm. borrows from genres and them now saying, oh, well, you're a pop singer. And you've been like, yeah. well, I'm not a pop singer. I am blah, blah, blah. You're only saying that because etc. Yeah. So it yeah. kind of, maybe that's more what she was getting at than a, I think an there's... actual kickback against jazz. Yeah. And it, there's also... There's inherent racism there as well, isn't there? And in that we kind of, if you think about where someone would stock a Nina Simone CD in HMV, sure, she w- they put her in jazz. They wouldn't put her in folk because people, laymen's associate white folk with, with white boys with guitars. Yeah, yeah, um, and that's kind of yeah. So as her career develops, it will be really interesting to, to, you know, it becomes even more uncategorizable. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think she's kicking back at that as well. I'm curious, what constitutes a surprise top US hit? Is that just the label going, well, isn't going to go anywhere? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Oh, right. yeah. <laughs> also the problematic yeah, I, ass I, is a definite good name. Another name for a play. Problematic Yeah, ass. I love that. <laughs> no, I yeah, I think the surprise thing is probably exactly that that she's not that the label haven't put a load of money behind promoting mm. it and stuff, you know, that it's like which again is sort of testament to her talent. It's just yeah. you go it's, it's a bit like you know how like now um I mean I'm sure the same thing happens in music, but I'm not as familiar with the industry, but like, you know, the films that win the Oscars are the ones with the millions of dollars worth of budget yes. for like getting them to win the Oscars. Um, Even if the film is actually quite low budget. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. it's just, it's a promo machine, you know. And I guess it was, you know, she wasn't getting that treatment and yet the the song shone through. And so people Mm -hmm. just bought it, even though they hadn't been told to. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, this goes kind of some way to, to showing them to be baddies and also... Lower, so Nina basically she sold her rights to the album outright uh, for three grand. Nina, Nina. I know, I know. Um, it's, essentially she lost out in, on in excess of one million dollars from. Oh my god! It, it's it's catastrophic, um, and yes, that the the label have obviously done her dirty, and um, she's you know she she didn't know. No one was, no one knew she was going to be Nina Simone. <laughs> um, but yeah, she's been done dirty there, 100%. Uh, That's real- so sad. Oh, it's just tragic, isn't it? Um, Realising her mistake, she went to Colpix Records and Bethlehem had to put out a cobbled together second album, which is Nina Simone and her friends. Um, but the consequence of basically that first record deal meant that it wasn't until the late 80s when My Baby Just Cares For Me was featured in a Chanel advert in Europe and it became a massive hit when it was re-released that Nina finally achieved the financial independence that allowed her to work only when she needed to. So... <laughs> the 80s? The 80s. That's insanity. Absolutely what? crazy. So from she dies in 2003 she records that album yeah in the in the in 59 and for, until the 80s she has to basically sing for her supper which is tragic some bullshit some fucking bullshit um so that is where we're going to leave Nina Simone part 1 in a in a 
perilous position, having become in- overnight famous, but no, <laughs> no more financially secure, particularly. Um, and then on the verge of going into a different stage of stratospheric stardom. Lovely. How do we feel about Nina, early Nina? Um, I, to be honest, I my favourite is still just her when she was twelve. Yeah, I just, I just think, like and the the sense of and yeah, like like that the quote that you read from her autobiography clearly that stayed with her. Just that sense of her own ability, which I yeah. guess does come from actual genius as well. Because there's that thing, isn't there, of like there's arrogance, and then mm. there's just an accurate appraisal of your ability. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. And if if you're like, oh, okay, so I've listened to other people playing piano and I'm much better. Like, yeah. I've listened to other people singing. I'm much better. That's yeah. just fact. Yes. <laughs> um, I, but, but it still is remarkable, given the context in which she was growing up, that she yeah. didn't allow all of the, well, racism um, <laughs> and, you know, and everything else to kind of, to impact her. Because yeah. most you know, most people are impacted by that stuff. Yeah. Um, and so she clearly is like, I think this is partly what draws me to her as well. It's like beyond her musical talent, mm. she's quite formidable and quite remarkable in yes. that she has that kind of rock solid sense of herself. Yes. Also, like, I think seeing her later work and what she'll will get into in part two like what she then goes on to do politically and stuff mm. it feels a little bit like she just observed it happening went that's fucked i'm filing that away and i'm coming back for you yeah like kind of it feels like she took a lot of that and mm. kind of internalized it because she was like i'm actually very busy becoming the greatest <laughs> pianist in the world yeah um yeah. or the greatest uh, singer in the world so um yeah, we're coming, we're, we're going to circle back to that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think she came at it like with that exact sense of kind of, yes. yeah, complete focus and kind of absolute unshakable self-belief, yes. but also belief in what she feels and what she thinks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this was an absolute treat. So divine to see you, my darling. This is plugs and hugs. We can't, we're virtually hugging you, but we can yeah. plugging you. Uh, where can the people find you? <laughs> plugging. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm Bella Heeson. I'm Bella Heeson. I'm at Bella Heeson on Twitter um, and on Facebook, although I never go on there, and on Instagram. Um, I'm not very active on any of them, to be honest. <laughs> um, but like, if you're if you're a devoted loyal follower, then if and when I actually do something that's available for someone to see, then it, I'll notify you <laughs> via those channels. It's I do like also a have, I do also have a account. website that I haven't updated, um, which <laughs> is bellahesum.com. And there is actually a mailing list you can sign up to there, but I don't think I've ever sent one out. So, <laughs> you know. You can buy the playtexts. Where can people buy yeah, the playtext? That's from? true. They so now this is slightly confusing because it was Oberon Books, but they have been bought by Bloomsbury. Right. So now you go to Bloomsbury and you can search for my name because I think the playtext is actually just called Two Plays because it has both ah. of the plays in it. Ah. Um, and yeah, they're really good and very affordable. So why not? There you go. It's a literary theatrical coupon get it <laughs> oh, thank there are, on my website there are little films and things as well yes you exactly ask, you know. yes you can hear some lovely snippets and of um uh the gorgeous score so saying you saying you weren't musical but that score for my world's exploded by anna o'grady is absolutely stunning yeah lovely i mean obviously i had well, I asked her to do it. That's how much <laughs> I had to do it. You inspired um, it. I was like, it would be really nice to have a live piano score. Could you make that happen? Um, and then she entirely created <laughs> it from her mind. <laughs> and it is very beautiful. And the, the words of the play are extremely beautiful. So get yourselves a copy of two plays. And uh, we will all see you back here in two weeks' time for Pas de Deux of Nina Simone. Yay! Yay!
We hope you enjoyed this episode of Big Diva Energy. If you did and you want to reach out and have a chat, share your BDE stories with us, maybe even your own Nina Simone-related stories, or just tell us which diva means the most to you, you can tweet us at Diva Energy, Instagram us at Big Diva Energy, Facebook us at Big Diva Energy Pod, email us at BigDivaEnergyPod at gmail.com, and please, why don't you give us a follow on TikTok at Big Diva Energy, where you can find me dicking about. This podcast is a Dark Matters production. If you just care for us, then don't forget to like and subscribe. Alternatively, if you thought we were playing the devil's music, get get in the sea! Bye! Bye! Bye!